Welcome to Open Hands, a podcast exploring spirituality, mental health, and the space in between. I'm your host and fellow wanderer, Sarah Nickerson. This week, Devin Wilson shares her healing journey after finding out she was herpes positive and what it means, in her words, to find humanity in the gray. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Devin, to Open Hands. I'm so glad to have you here today. Um, thanks for taking time out of your schedule this week. Uh, and usually, you know, we just kind of open it up. And if you want to share anything about yourself and then share what uh, story you'd want to talk about today, that would be great. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Um, so a little bit about my background, I guess. Um, I'm originally from the Los Angeles area in California, and I live in New York City now. Um, and growing up, um, my family didn't really go to church or have um, any like very strong religious affiliation. Mm-hmm. Um, we said that we were Christians. My parents grew up um, Christian, like going to church every Sunday, vacation Bible studies in the summer, all that jazz. But when it came gotcha. to our family, um, it was um, it wasn't like I guess maybe they had felt forced when they were younger, so they didn't want to put that on us. Gotcha. Um, and as I've grown up, I've had uh, <laughs> hmm, what word do I want to use? Tumultuous sounds so strong. Maybe like something that's not as strong, but like a tumultuous relationship with religion. (laughs) Uh, And I've just gotten to a a place in my life. I'm 32 now where I am able to see religion and spirituality as two different things. Mm. Um, And I am open to and able to describe myself as a spiritual being, which has been, yeah, it's felt really um, sort of freeing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I know um, when we had talked previously, one of the things you had said was like, it, like religion and spirituality to you for a long time kind of felt like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. I had, so I had, I had such a hard time separating them. To me, it all felt like, um, I guess one big identity that like someone else was putting on you. Right. Like to me, religion is like religion is wrapped up in the Bible and the church and other people telling you what what you can or cannot do, what is or is not right. Um, Right. And I think it was because that was so hard for me to grasp. I just lumped spirituality in there and was just like, nope, all of those things are other people telling me what I'm supposed to do and I'm not going to do it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like there was a turning point in your life where you started to come into a different place with your spirituality or with your sense of self? And what was Mm -hmm. that like? Yeah. Um, With my sense of self and with my spirituality would be two different answers. So I'll Mm -hmm. do them chronologically and how they occurred for me. So my sense of self definitely changed when I um, tested positive for genital herpes five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I went through this like giant identity crisis like who am I what does this mean about me everything I've heard about what this means is that I'm promiscuous and dirty and all these things that I don't Mm -hmm. identify with so 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 what does that mean um and it took me about a year and a half to start opening up about that part of me and the more people Mm -hmm. that I told 
the more, um, one, the more people I found that were also dealing with something like that. Um, yeah. that, that entire time, like I felt alone, like no one understands, no one else is going through this. And it's just that no one else is talking about it. Um, mm. and, um, so I was able to find other people through that, but also able to just, um, get to a place of like peace and acceptance with, um, the diagnosis and, and knowing that it didn't mean anything about me, that mm. all the meaning that I, uh, that all of this, the things that I was feeling about it were, were, was meaning that I was putting onto it based on what I had been given from media and, you know, sex ed classes and doctors and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. So once I was able to get to a place where I'm like, oh, this doesn't mean anything except that a virus found my body to be a nice host. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so freeing. Mm. Um, and then the shift in spirituality, I think, I feel like that was has been much more nuanced. I'm not sure if there's like one thing. Hmm. Well, I, I'm just going to talk through this because I'm not sure what's going to come of it. I was, yeah, (laughs) I was um, engaged for a bit. um, Mm. And we ended up not getting married um, Mm. because I had just been feeling so much uh, like my, my body was just in in turmoil. Um, Mm. There would be times when I would just sob uncontrollably and I couldn't figure out why. And it wasn't until, um, after we broke up that I realized, oh, my body was trying to tell me that, um, this wasn't right for us. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything, um, like someone was abusive or whatever. It was nothing like that. Um, but there was just like, this is not where we need to be. This is not what's for us. And I think in that sort of communication of my body to, um, my heart and brain, um, I think that was something that was like, oh, there, there are other things at play here, other things that my logical mind can't quite grasp, but other parts of me can. And I mm, want to yeah. start like building those muscles in, in listening um, mm. to my body. Yeah. And I would imagine like, it sounds like maybe your, your brain was in conflict with mm. that. To yeah. Agree. Yeah. Brain, heart, uh, and gut is what I use for my body. They were all just sort of like at war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What were the parts of you that you feel like were telling you it was right or that mm. you should move forward? Mm. That would probably be uh, – that's interesting. Probably a little bit heart and a little bit brain, right? So like yeah. heart is like – but I, but I love him and we are so good together when we're good together. And, um, we have a lot of the same values and a lot of the same aspirations and we both love musical theater. Like what, come on, (laughs) you know? And then, and then on the days, like there are days where we would argue or, or I would feel particularly low about the relationship. And then the next day it would be like super great. And we would laugh and have a great time. And I'd be like, see, look at these days. Like, yeah we can't get rid of these days because these days are so good. Um, so, and, and then there was also the, the brain part is like, well, um, I had, we had had the discussion about my, um, herpes status and we had both made 
decisions around like, okay, we're going to stop using protection. We're going to, we're going to be in this relationship for the long haul. He was open to the risk. And so he ended up contracting it. And so my part of my, well, that was probably still brain and heart was like, he made the sacrifice for you. Um, and you've already made the commitment of an engagement. What is, what does that commitment mean? Um, mm. If you're breaking this commitment, does it mean that you don't stand by your word? Um, mm. How much effort do you put in until you know it's been enough effort to be able to break that commitment? And so it was so much like arguing back and forth with myself of how much is enough? What feelings are the right feelings? Yeah, <laughs> uh, how yeah. can both of these feelings coexist? Um, and what and what sense do I make from it all? Mm. Do you feel like that has made more sense to you, like the further you've gotten away from the relationship? Oh, for sure. So um, even in the last, I don't know, last few weeks of our relationship. So um, we met in New York and lived in New York for a bit. And then we moved to California and my job was still in New York. I was working remotely and I had to be back in New York for the summer. And he decided to stay back in California. And so that was the first real distance that we had had. Um, yeah. And our relationship had moved very quickly. So I don't know, by that time, it might have been just under two years we had been together. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I came to New York and I had like breath, it became very clear to me that yeah. I needed I needed to move on. Um, mm-hmm. It was like, frighteningly clear like I had asked for signs and within a week of being in the city I had gotten like five <laughs> wow wow um and so then it was about like uh now now I just have to do the really hard thing that no one ever wants to do mm. um and then since then he and I are actually really good friends now um mm-hmm. we after we broke up we tried again for a few months and and in that period we started writing poetry together um mm. and then we ultimately decided like no this is not for us um we still love each other and um and we're still friends we talk on the phone like I don't know probably about once a month now um but we've turned our poetry into a book um yeah and it's been really it's been so fun (laughs) and and nice to know and he and I talk about it too like this is what uh our relationship was meant to be you know Mm -hmm. um And we, and it was, the other part of it was meant to be as well. Like we both Mm -hmm. have learned so much from it and we wouldn't have each other if we hadn't gone through that. Um, But it's, it's, it's fun to be able to be in this friendship with him now and to create and just uh, really love and like root for one another without feeling any of the other um, pressure. Wow. That's really amazing. And I, I love that because I think so often, I feel like we live very much in a culture of um, like there's not a lot of gray area, right? Like it's kind of like dictated to us, like what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, especially in the areas of like religion, Mm. um, which I know you shared. And I'm sure even like you said with um, testing positive for herpes, like there's a lot of like shame and stigma. There's just like not a lot of other space for things. And I think part of – it sounds like for you – like your journey was was finding like that in between where you could feel free. Mm. 
Uh, I love that you said that because, um, so I'm an artist and I, I have like all these different avenues of things <laughs> that I enjoy doing that like I haven't mm-hmm. studied and I might not be great at any of them, but I love them. Yeah. So one of them is songwriting and I was, mm-hmm. um, I'd given myself this like lofty goal of writing an album. I ended up leaving that to the side for now. Um, but yeah. the name of it was going to be humanity in the gray. Mm. because I feel like so much of what causes us grief and pain is trying to live in the binaries on either mm-hmm. end. Yeah. Uh, and, and humanity is best lived in the middle. And I know it's mm-hmm. messy and it's not clear and there's so much space in, in between the ends. Right. Um, yeah. but that's where we're meant to be. Um, mm. and so, yeah, yeah the gray area has been like, if I were to sum up like the biggest lesson of um, testing positive for, for herpes, it would be uh, the gray area for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like even in your relationship, like I mm. feel like, you know, popular opinion, yes. counseling, like they'd be like, we don't stay friends with our exes. Right. Like, That's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> Um, but you guys navigated that into it and created something really beautiful from it, which is even yeah. more beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Um, I know you had stated – so like growing up, you, you weren't particularly relig- religious. I think you had mentioned before that there was like a period of time in your life where you were exploring Christianity or, mm-hmm. or that had come up for you. What yeah. Was, what was that like? Yeah. So in high school, I um, – was on, I was a runner, so I was on the cross country team. And there was a family who there was like four, four boys and um, they were all on the team and they were very religious. Their parents were involved in their church and they had this giant white, like utility van, like mm-hmm. the kind that like, I don't know, people who come to like fix your, fix your air conditioner have, but this right, was just right. like their family car. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah. And they would just like caravan kids from the team and from the neighborhood to church on Sundays. Um, mm. And it had already been in me like something that I was questioning, like, well, if we call ourselves Christians, what does that mean? Um, sure. yeah. Maybe I want to explore this for myself. And so I started going with them and then I uh, ended up <laughs> dating the oldest brother. Uh, and mm. so <laughs> I would go with them every Sunday and then there would be bi- like Bible studies at the house. Um, and sometimes they would drive to, to the church during the week for Bible studies. Um, and I just, I, I tried my best. I felt like a student, right? In the beginning, yeah. just wanting to learn all of the things. Um, and uh, we ended up breaking up and I went to college and um, I had a really hard time, I think, with my sexuality and religion, right? So yeah. Yeah. I have been a sexual person for um, well, the majority of my life. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and we didn't talk about it in my family. Right. And it was just, yeah. the idea was like you sex, uh, you have sex when you get married. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise it's not a thing. And, um, like feeling aroused or uh, curious or any of that stuff, like it was just not a thing that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started masturbating when I was 13 and yeah. I had to like, I, I, of course, hid it from the family. Um, yeah. I would take, I told this to my sister like just last week. I was like, remember when I used to take really long showers and you guys were like, Devin loves really long showers. I was like, yeah, I was masturbating. And they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the only place in the whole house where there's a lock on the door and no one will knock and like bother right. you. Um, yeah. And so 
uh, I remember getting to college and meeting this guy and we went back to his dorm room and we were like making out and I had an orgasm just from making out. And I was like, this is um, like, I I felt um, excited, but but bad about it. Mm. Um, Like this wasn't supposed to happen. Um, And I remember like, I I don't even remember what he thought about it or if we had a conversation, but I remember leaving so quickly um, just sort of like, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. I have to go. Um, Right. Right. And, uh, and then I started seeing another guy and we also were pushing the physical boundaries. And I felt like, I, I think this is wrong. I don't know what to do. And I remember um, instant messaging a guy that I knew from high school um, who went to church with, with us. And he still very Christian was like, mm. I, you're probably going to have to end that relationship if, you, if you're feeling, not even mm. if you're feeling, but it was very much like that's, you know, that's sin and um, yeah. you're being tempted. And so you should probably find a group on campus that will keep you, you know, safe, accountable. Exactly. So I, uh, ended up finding a Christian sorority and, um, I started that my sophomore year of college and the first couple of years I was, it was great. I felt like I found some really great girlfriends and some of them still to this day are my favorite people in the world. And some of my closest friends, um, and it was nice to have a community. And I was still, I think, in the sort of student um, mindset of like, okay, I need to learn how to be a good Christian. What does that look like? Right. Um, let me try my best. I would go to church. And my favorite part was worship just because I got to sing. Mm-hmm. It's one of my, yeah. my favorite things yeah. to do in the world. And I'm like, this is, this is the jam. This is the best part of church. Yeah. <laughs> Can we leave after this? Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, around the end of my junior year going into senior year I felt so restricted Mm. I felt like um the things inside me that I that I had been made to feel were bad and wrong like I remember when I was pledging that first semester there was this whole ordeal about me telling a couple of my sisters like oh I masturbate and I've watched porn and it felt yeah. like like a confession of like oh your sins are forgiven God still loves like right. this big energy that I had to give to tell them this thing yeah. that me now knows is not a big deal <laughs> right. yeah. um, but back then it felt like I have to like I have to be forgiven this thing about me is so bad and wrong mm-hmm. um, and so by my senior year I just was like I'm going to take a step back because this is like, I thought religion was supposed to make me feel held and nurtured and, mm-hmm. and give me some peace and freedom. And it's doing the exact opposite. Um, yeah. And so I didn't, um, I can't even remember any of the Greek words you're supposed to, I didn't uh, like get out of the sorority. I just wasn't as active. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I started actually seeing the guy that I had been seeing my freshman year, um, mm-hmm. that we were pushing the physical boundaries. I started seeing him again um, and felt like I'm just going to give myself permission to be, just be like explore yeah. and, and see what happens. Yes. Um and so after that, I started saying that I was agnostic, I believe mm-hmm. in some sort of force. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that religion um, is for me. And I, sure. I still feel that way. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine like, 
how isolated it must have felt for you to be in that community where you were feeling these things, which I'm sure (laughs) other people were experiencing. Yeah, yeah. But just weren't talking about. And then you had this like vulnerability and courage to share it and then was kind of met with this like, like, like none of that holding or um, like – normalizing or any of that right I can imagine it felt very isolating well my sisters the ones that I ended up sharing that with were very like that's it's it's normal it's okay but it was still very much like it's a sin and that's not a thing that we need to do right um and so they were super great about it it still just felt like but I don't agree with the part I I think I don't agree with the part that says that this is bad right Um, yeah why would God give us pleasurable parts if it was bad? <laughs> yeah. 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 And when you decided to move out, you know, you weren't as active. Mm. Um, like what was that whole process like mm. for you? Yeah. Um, I was – so my best friend in college and I did the sorority together and we – my senior year we lived together and so I still had – that connection. And then there were a couple other, um, of my sisters that I was really close to. And so it felt, um, I felt sort of like, uh, what word do I want to use? Like a, I don't even know exactly what this word means. A curmudgeon of sorts of like, Oh, that's the senior sister. And she doesn't really come around when she does. Like, I don't know if she's going to be in the best of moods because she's questioning things, who knows? And so I felt like, Mm. (laughs) um, I didn't like, I had no desire to connect to any of the new sisters I had. And so I, remember feeling like I really have to manage myself and like mm-hmm. fake it till you make it. And like, I don't want to tell them that the sisterhood is bad or wrong. There's still events yeah. that I have to show up to. Um, right. But for my own like mental health, just overall health, um, I can't, I can't be as, as in this as I was. So it was definitely mm-hmm. a weird, a weird time. Right. And right. it also felt kind of selfish, you know, selfish in the way that the world tells you uh, what being selfish is, like the bad connotation mm. of like, you're choosing yourself, you're choosing mm. to take care of you and to listen to you and all those things instead of the collective that you have, I mean, pledged, right? <laughs> you have pledged to yeah. be a part yeah. of, um, yeah which I guess is a sort of a similar dynamic in being engaged to someone, right? You have right. pledged and promised to be in this thing with somebody. Um, what does the gray area of that look like when your body and mind mm-hmm. starts to tell you that it's not the best thing for you? How much of you do you sacrifice for, yeah. for the other? Yeah. Yeah. One's well, even like thinking about your experience growing up, like um, there's sort of like this like undercurrent of Christianity that had like somewhat mm. like, shaped your life growing up and then there was this like major current and you know in in some years where you were really developing as an individual Mm -hmm. and yeah religion is not it's not a space where often um you can be like one foot in and one foot out or like enjoy part like you know you said like I love going to church and singing but then like and I feel like there's not a lot of space for that. Like people are kind of like, well, like if you're here and you're just enjoying that, then our goal is to convert you or like, <laughs> you know, you can't believe parts of it and not believe other parts. Like there's right. just, yeah, it's it's very like all in or all out. And then that can feel so constricting and also it can feel really like, um, like limiting, I feel like yeah. in a lot of ways. 
And I think that's where I've been able to like dive into spirituality because it feels mm. so individual. Yeah. Um, like I get to decide uh, what church is for me. I get to decide mm. what worship looks like, um, what uh, scripture looks like, like from mm. like just quotes that I pull from my favorite writers or, yeah. uh, or even just like randomly things I find on Instagram. Like I will print things out and hang them in my room if it feels like it is speaking to me. Yeah. Um, and that feels so much more organic and freeing than having to read the Bible and make meaning out of right. the thing because someone has said that it means something. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I went through a period of my life where I was like spiritually questioning and my therapist had referred me to a spiritual, um, what's she called? I think she was called like a spiritual advisor. Mm. And she was in the Catholic tradition, but she had been a social worker for all of her life. Um, and I didn't really know like what I was going to talk about when I went to see her because my, my mom had was recently um, had recently gotten sick and I was just like questioning everything. Mm. And what I loved about her was that she really created this space where like everything was okay. Yeah. Um, and I remember talking to her about like I remember talking to her about the Bible and being like, I don't know, like there's like stuff in there that I don't agree with and that like is really fucked up and like, you know, but then like there are parts of it that sometimes can be like comforting to me and like I, like, I just was like all like, you know, confused about this thing. And I remember she was like listening to me and she kind of like paused for a minute and she looked at me and she was like, do you journal? And I was like, yeah, like I journal all the time. And she was like, well, those are the scriptures of your life. And she, was like, she was like, those are your scriptures, like, you know, and it's like, that's what's meaningful to you. And I don't know, I just like her saying that like opened up this whole like, oh, I like, love that. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, just like you said, like, it could be like, you know, like words from a poem that are meaningful to you yeah. or a song or something someone says to you in passing in the yeah. street. And, like, we can find these moments of spirituality and meaning all around us. It doesn't have to be this like one um this one text or this yeah. one way of being. And yeah, I really, it sounds like you've created, you've created that space for yourself. Yeah. And I love that it is always evolving, right? Mm. Um, there will be things that really speak to me in, for some period. And then I'll forget completely about a quote or, or something and then something else will really speak to me. Um, and so that's been really, uh, exciting like it's it sort of gives you like a oh I wonder what life is going to bring me next what's going to speak mm -hmm. to me next what's going to guide me or like uh, hit, hit me in the feels today like um yeah. I think I mentioned this to, to you before like Frozen 2 I cry yeah. every single time and it's just yeah. like really speaking to me spiritually and so I like I yeah. put it on the list of things that I'm like this is part of my church I think for right now where yeah. I am in my life um yeah. And that, like, that uh, freedom has been so beautiful. Like, who would think, like, oh, yeah, you can put a Disney movie on your spirituality right. list. I, yeah, I can right. because I've decided I can. And it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the spirit world, I feel like, is in so many different things. We just mm -hmm. have to be open to, like, hear and receive. Yeah. In the moment. I know um, you – I think you run a herpes positive support group. I do, Yeah. Have you found like with, with the people that you interact with, like there's often a lot of um, like religious rejection or mm. religious shame that accompanies mm. a lot of, of, of that? Yeah. 
Um, mm. So in my experience, I remember, so when I was diagnosed, I was 20, is that right? 27, 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I remember being so angry at God, this person that I didn't really have a relationship with anymore. But I was like, mm-hmm. how could you let this happen to me? Um, what is the point? Like, I don't, I already didn't think that you existed up there. Like I mm-hmm. imagine him sitting in like some sort of armchair watching this like giant wall of tiny TV right. screens where he can see everybody's life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, like curse you. Um, and so I hear a lot of that from other people, right. Of like, why did this happen to me? Like I try to be, mm-hmm. I tried to be faithful. I tried to do everything right. Um, but I feel like I'm being punished um, and, uh, I think that piece is really hard. Like when you're trying to find acceptance, um, yeah. that piece is really hard when you believe in this larger, um, purpose or force. And it just is not, it's not clear to you why, um, why, why that force would allow this t- to happen. Right. Um, there are often people who, are like, oh yeah, I'm never going to tell my family. Like, I'm just, mm-hmm. they won't get it. They will either like shame me um, or they'll like gossip about me within the family. Like they just won't understand. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that makes my heart so sad. Like yeah. that the understanding of what herpes is in the world trumps what people know about mm-hmm. their loved ones. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, um, and especially people too, who come from, I guess all religions are very, um, uh, what's the word? Um, chaste. I don't know. What's Mm. the word I'm, there's a probably, no, yeah. A lot, especially a lot of like the, um, like Muslim Christianity, you know, there's a lot of, of stuff around sexuality. Right. right. And so then the fact that they're not virgins, just like, that's a whole Mm -hmm. other thing that, so they can't even be in the conversation around having an STI because the conversation around them being sexually active is, is a huge part of it too. Yeah. Um, So it's all very like restricting and just essentially telling, telling people like, you're not enough. The parts of you uh, that exist, uh, that have led to this are bad and wrong. And the way that you are now is not enough. And, um, especially with herpes, I think it's so triggering because there's, there it's permanent. There's no cure for it. There's nothing that you can do about it. Um, and so it's, uh, it's very, it's a huge assault on identity in that way where it can be. Yeah. What do you feel like helped to, um, helped you to renegotiate your identity after yeah. your diagnosis? Um, singing. Yeah. And uh, sharing my story. So mm-hmm. I, for a year and a half, and I, I, it's funny, I'm a journaler, huge journaler. I went back through my journals. This entire span of me feeling like depressed about myself is just gone. I didn't write yeah. at all. Wow. Um, so what I can remember of that time was just very much going through the motions, going to work, mm. uh, having to cry in the bathroom if I needed to, coming home, eating, um, having a glass of wine, putting Seinfeld on so I could fall asleep to the drone of something and not mm. like have to cry myself to sleep. Mm. Um, and I did that for months. And at a certain point, um, I just was like, I, I have got 
to get my life back. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, but I feel like a shell of a person. And then I just, I'm so tired of, of being tired. (laughs) So I joined, um, actually a Hamilton, uh, meetup. (laughs) and it was just this doctor and he opened up his home and he would play through the uh hamilton score on his uh grand piano in his living room and and a bunch of strangers would stand around the piano and we would sing hamilton at the top of our lungs and i just um it was like i had allowed myself to live again and to feel joy again and to be me again Mm. um yeah and so that i think that was the beginning of of my (laughs) sort of uh renaissance maybe (laughs) I just love like I feel so much when traumatic things happen when bad things happen um like numbing is a huge thing Mm. that we do right like it's like it's easiest to numb or to check out or to to distract and I think people often give that a bad rap but Mm. um I remember reading a book a few years ago it's one of my favorite books it's called broken open um and it's this this woman she's very um, well-known speaker, writer. She actually opened up a institute in New York called the Omega Institute. That's like basically a like a spiritual epicenter, and they have everyone come, like anybody that you can think of that has anything to do with spirituality, um, and also counseling. They, they invite them to come, and it's just this really cool place where like all these people from different walks of life and religions and spiritualities can come and share, um, you know, whatever. But I remember one of the things she had written about uh, was after her dad died, she she went into this space where she like blocked everybody out. She mm. you know she was going through the motions, mm. and she talked a lot about how important that was yeah. because we need to consolidate that energy so that we then have the energy to heal. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a, a hibernation period of like all of that energy is getting like stored up in that time. So that we can then like move forward um, and find a path to healing. And then I love what you said that like the two things that really brought you back to yourself were like connecting to people and then also connecting to a part of you um, that like was creative and and, uh, was like a part of your soul, like something that has always been a part of you. And I like that's just – it's – I love how that happens. Like mm-hmm. when we feel that there is no way and then there's like the smallest note of a song yes. or the smile of a stranger and then it just kind of like can carry us when we're ready. Like right. when that at that point we're ready. I so people will often ask me like <laughs> what did you do? Tell me what you did so that you right. like to get to this acceptance so I can do exactly those things. Right. Um, and so of course I'll tell them everyone's journey looks differently. Um, but I, I do like to remind people like you're going to need your grieving process. Like I know you want to push through it and you want it to be over because it's painful and uncomfortable. Right. Um, right. And yours might be a week long and, or it might be two years long or like, you, you won't really know and I can't tell you, um, but that's important. And then I'll also, you know, recommend like um, try to continue doing the things that you love to do. Um, yeah. re- remember them. They're still there for you. Um, if you have one person in your life that you can talk to, um, I find that that's really helpful as well. Um, yeah. But just like, and it's so hard because especially like I, I was there too, like, all you want is clarity in the beginning. Mm. Tell me 
how this is going to show up in my body. Tell me how to manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how to work through it. Where's the acceptance? Where's the peace? Um, mm-hmm. How can I continue loving myself? Just give me <laughs> A, yeah. B, and C to do. Um, right. You know, to grasp onto the clarity and control when we feel like we have no control over our bodies. Um, yeah. And so that, that's one of the hardest things to to work through in all of it. Um, yeah. 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 Sitting with things is so hard. I've been mm-hmm. reading a lot of um, Pema Chodron. She's a Buddhist monk. She writes these really wonderful books. The one I just read was called When Things Fall Apart. Um, I feel like I just heard about that book. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite it's, artists, I think, posted about it. <laughs> yeah. She's great. Like, I love her because she doesn't, she doesn't really like get into the whole, like, you don't feel like you're taking a class in Buddhism. She just kind of gives you like the principles that help mm. <laughs> in your day to day. Yeah. And she talks a lot about just like about being in that gray space, like being in there with open hands mm. and just being like, this isn't good. This isn't bad. Like it's just a feeling and like mm. really learning to sit with the feeling and instead of attaching meaning to it, yes. like we're trying to control it, which mm. is what I definitely often do is like, how can I like, yeah, find out all the facts or right. like <laughs> figure out the next, like the next thing to do. Like right. my therapist makes fun of me because I'm like okay so what do I do oh my gosh I make a joke with my therapist about that too (laughs) oh my gosh this is so fascinating that I've just learned what do I do what do I do now (laughs) right like we want to like we want to take action but like so often our healing comes from just like sitting with it I also have a friend who she's um a recovering alcoholic and she she used to say like sometimes you just gotta sit in your dirty diaper (laughs) stink up the place (laughs) go around in your shit just gotta sit in your dirty yeah. diaper until it passes <laughs> and that's so true like sometimes yes. like, it's like well I'm just like sitting in my dirty diaper mm-hmm. like what I'm doing and <laughs> eventually like you'll get changed but we just don't know how long that will be or what that right. process will be like but right. trusting that part of ourselves like you know that true self like the part of us that's always been there um mm that, you know, that, that person will come forward when they're ready. Mm. That has been another thing for me that has really opened me up, like the true self. Um, I did a a coach training program, like a life coach training program. And through that, you know, they teach you different exercises and tools um, to help other people. And as you're being trained, of course, you go through them yourself. And there's one um, called like the inner leader visioning. Mm -hmm. And I had a very, and I've done this exercise twice. The first time, like, it didn't really work for me. Like, I had envisioned, like, some sort of blue, like, orb blob sort of thing. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I don't know what that's about. But the second time I did it, like, a year later, maybe, um, it was very clear this, like, her name is Queen. um, And she came to me and she looked just like me, but she had, like, 100% understanding and wisdom and knowledge of who I am at my core because she is me. Um, And uh, it just gave me this feeling of like, I, I think going through the world of like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And she gave me this, this reassurance and understanding like sometimes you don't know what you're doing and sometimes you do. And both times you're okay. Yeah. Um, and so that's been such a huge sort of like guiding light for me. Um, mm-hmm. that I'm so grateful for. I even tattooed yeah. it on my wrist. I love that. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, 
Devin, thanks so much for being on here today. You know, you shared so much wisdom and I really thank you for your vulnerability and your openness and just your willingness to share. It means a lot. Thank you so much. This was fun. I'm glad that I'm glad that yeah. we did this. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to shout out? Like Instagram, project, oh, yeah. groups? Um, so you can find me on Instagram as my main social. It's love always dev. Um, mm. all spelled um normally. Um and uh, my support groups can also be found on there. Everything is virtual right now. We're meeting once a month. Um, okay. So our next one is coming up at the end of July. And also, I've written a TV pilot. Um, yeah, yeah. I read it. It's so Yay. good. I really mean that, Devin. Like, I really, I like told my friend, I was like, this girl sent me this script. And I like, <laughs> it was like really good. <laughs> and I actually, it was so good that I keep like there's actually the other day I was like, what's that TV show I wanted to finish <laughs> thinking about your pilot? Because like it was so vivid oh. that I could picture everything in my brain. And I was like, oh, that wasn't – that was like Devin's pilot. Like, oh. I, like I know that there's a show I really like wanted to finish. <laughs> oh, that makes my heart so happy. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, yeah, yeah. So where I am right now with it is like I'm – a new writer. I just last year had this idea um, about what it could look like if herpes was represented in the media differently mm. uh, than always being the butt of a joke. And so the idea of the show came along and I'm, you know, working on the pilot and trying to get it ready so that I can pitch it to networks, which I have no idea how to do. Um, so I created a survey and asked people like, can you just say that you want to see this show get made? And if you know anyone, can you help connect me? Because I feel very deeply in my body, like the show yeah. is a matter of when, not if. Um, and so, yeah. And so now I'm just sort of like trying to get everyone to do the survey yeah, and get yeah. people excited about it. And I haven't had to do anything to get them excited about it. I just said, this I is know. the thing I'm doing. And people yeah. have been like, yes. <laughs> and yeah. so that's been even more of like a great. It's when, not if. I love mm -hmm. it. Well, I'm sure forward. that's like a testament to like who you are and what you put out into the world. So I'm not surprised by that at all. Oh. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, you know, I would definitely encourage people, you know, go check out your page and Yay. the plot and all the wonderful things you have to offer. And thanks for, you know, creating that safe place for people too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. You are welcome. Okay. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Open Hands is produced, hosted, and edited by Sarah Nickerson. Theme music is by Sleeping at Last. You can find Open Hands on Instagram at Open Hands Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and be well. <laughs>